Welcome to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. We butchered chickens last week. This is our first batch for the year. We have another 50 birds coming in July. And naturally throughout the process, I posted it on Instagram and Facebook and I created a YouTube video around us on butchering day because that's what I do. And it generated a lot of comments, which I knew it would because that's what always happens every time I talk about meat, especially growing our own meat. And one of the topics that came up a lot was from some of you who have contemplated growing meat animals on your homestead and you're just feeling a little bit of apprehension. You're not sure if you can go through with it. You're worried about how you'll feel on butchering day. Uh, And I get it. It's totally natural and normal to question yourself and to wonder those things. So in today's episode, I wanted to take you through some of our own thought processes and just kind of the emotional side of raising your own meat animals on the homestead. I'm your host, Jill Winger, and this is the podcast for the trailblazers, the mavericks, the makers, the homesteaders, the modern pioneers, and the backyard farmers. If you're ready to boost your food security and live a more homegrown lifestyle, well, this is the place for you. This episode is brought to you by Redmond's Real Salt, which is the number one salt I use in all of my homestead cooking. I've learned over the years that not all salt is created equal and having the good stuff really does make a difference in your culinary adventures. Redmond's is the only salt mined in the good old US of A and I love that they use sustainable practices and that it contains 60 plus trace minerals that not only make it incredibly good for you, but it tastes better too. Since I can't grow salt myself, obviously, I like to buy it in bulk since it saves me some cash and it doesn't go bad, so it's an easy thing to stock up on. Right now for the month of June, Redmond's is offering 15% off your purchase just for my podcast listeners. Head on over to theprairiehomestead.com slash salt and use the code homestead to snag your discount. Plus, if you spend $50 or more, the shipping is free. I want to start off by saying in this episode, or anytime I talk about raising meat, it is not my intention to convert vegetarians. It's not. If you want to be vegetarian, I think that's fantastic. I think there are a lot of different diets out there, and I do not believe in a one-sized-fits-all diet. I think some people absolutely do better with plant-based diets. I think some people do better with animal protein based diets. There is a lot of room for interpretation here. So if you are vegetarian and you have no intention of ever raising your own meat or eating meat whatsoever, cool. We can be friends. No problem whatsoever. I just ask in return that you be respectful of my diet choices as well. I think that's fair. Don't you think? Um, Basically this episode though, it's not a plea for everyone to start eating meat, but rather it's more of just an explanation of our thought processes as we raise animals on our property, animals that we have close contact with that we then eat. Um, Even just as I say that, I know some people are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she does. I mean, I get it. It's, It's hard for some people to wrap their minds around. And I know that this episode will not make sense to some of you and it's totally okay. I don't expect all of the vegetarians and all of the meat eaters to ever come to a complete middle ground ever. There's always going to be differing opinions. 
And every single time I post something about eating meat or raising meat on my blog or on my YouTube channel, I get these impassioned pleas from vegetarians trying to present these arguments that, um, to convince me to go over to their side. And it, and it's often with this assumption that I've not thought through what I'm doing. And I just want to say that we do think through this. Um, when you raise an animal yourself and you then put that animal in the freezer, there's a lot of thinking. <laughs> there's a lot of thought going into this. This is not a process of just like mindlessly killing and eating animals. I, and I, again, I know that some of you will not get that. It's okay. Um, but I just basically, I think I'm trying to say in my rambly way, we have really put a lot of effort and thought to being conscious in our meat consumption. And hopefully that'll make a little bit more sense as I go. But anyway, we do choose to eat meat because personally we feel better when we eat meat, just like some of you feel better when you just eat plants. We feel better when we eat meat. Um, and one thing I've thought about a lot over the years, when we look at the different indigenous diets around the globe, right? There is no one single diet that everyone thrived on through the millennia. When I look at our local area, we live in Wyoming on the Great Plains, prairie land, zero trees, uh, bad growing seasons. You've heard me talk about all this stuff before. You really can't be a local food eater here and be vegan. If you're going to eat local foods, it just, it just won't work. If you try to eat only plants that are grown in a 100 mile radius, you will probably die in Wyoming because there's just not enough plants. Um, and we look at our Native American cultures from around this area. You know, they were very, very meat heavy. We had a lot of buffalo here. This was literally buffalo stomping grounds right where we live. I'm pretty sure in our backyard, there's an old buffalo wallow that fills up with water every spring and the kids go play in it and it's super cool. Um, but the cultures here were dependent on the buffalo. And I'm sure they supplemented with some plant-based foods, but I know they couldn't live on those year round just because they don't exist here. And, you know, our evidence is that around us, it's kind of cool. We have these big bluffs. They're beautiful. They are striking. You've probably seen pictures of them and they have these big drop-offs and there's a lot of archeological evidence, um, that the, Native Americans would drive the buffalo off the cliffs. They would plunge down to their death at the bottom, and then they were able to harvest them. And I think that was primarily before they had horses. They would do that on foot, and they had these really advanced kind of funnel systems to take the buffalo to the edge of the cliff and kind of they'd panic the herd and get them to go. Um, but that is what they lived on. And of course, they used all the parts of the animal and were very efficient with that. But they needed the buffalo to survive here because there are not ample wild orchards of fruit trees and it's really tough to find nuts and berries and seeds. So all that to say, I think there's a lot of variables here. And I know that if I tried to be a local vegan in Wyoming, it, you know, it's tough. You have to be trucking in a lot of stuff to be a vegetarian here. And I'm not trying to say that that's ethically wrong to bring in the almonds or bring in the coconut milk to Wyoming, but they definitely are not something that grow very close to where we live at all. So all that to say, um, I guess just to reiterate, I think there's a lot of different ways to eat and I don't believe in a one size fits all approach. One other thing I wanted to address kind of before we get into some of my bullet points, because you guys know how much I love bullet points is I got a comment last week 
And they said that the process of butchering, they were concerned because in this video on YouTube, my children, our children were right there with us, asking questions, helping. They were very involved. And they said they were concerned that seeing death up close would be desensitizing my children to it. And they would start to think it's normal and, and good and appropriate to just kill animals willy-nilly. Um, and I thought a lot about that comment. And I actually think it's the opposite for both adults and children. I know that when you partake firsthand in the processing of an animal, it really makes you think. And it actually, to me, is sensitizing versus desensitizing. What I actually think is desensitizing is when we as a culture are accustomed to consuming massive quantities of chicken nuggets and cheap beef with nary a thought about where it came from, how the animal lived, or what it took to produce that. I feel like that is desensitizing. And from my own experiences with raising animals for meat that we eat ourselves, um, I know I'm way more mindful of how I consume animal protein. And when I go to the grocery store and I walk past the meat coolers and I see the mass-produced factory farm chickens and beef, I look at them and I'm like, what, what did that animal live like? What was their experience like in that factory farm? And I don't know, it doesn't, it, it sensitizes me more, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I've noticed the same with my children. I get a lot of questions about our kids on butchering days. And I noticed that it, it's the same with my kids. They're very mindful to life and death. They have an understanding of life and death because that's just life. That's the reality of living on this earth is things are born and things die. And I feel like a lot of times in our culture, we try to sterilize the life and death out of it. And in, in cultures and in generations past, we didn't have that luxury. We only have that luxury now with this industrialized food system. But my kids are definitely not um, calloused at all. They're very aware. We talk a lot about hum humane methods that we don't let animals suffer, even bugs. Like um, my, <laughs> this might seem silly. My kids were catching moths. We have 5,000 million Miller moths in our house, in our barns right now. Happens every June and May and June. And my kids were catching them. And even with the moths, I'm like, if you're going to kill a moth, you don't let it suffer. You kill it fast or a fly. I mean, I don't care what it is. We kill, if you're going to kill something, even a pest, even a mouse in your house or whatever, it needs to be put down humanely. And so we have those conversations a lot. My kids are very, very conscious of small, helpless things. They're very caring towards our animals. Um, we have kittens out in the barn right now. They have elaborate systems set up to make sure the kittens are not attacked by our puppy. Like they're, they're very conscious. So I do not think it desensitizes them at all, but they have an awareness of what they're eating and what they're putting into their mouth. And I like that. So, um, as far as kids on butchering day, I don't force them to participate. My right now, my oldest is 10. And then I have a seven and a four year old. And this butchering day was really the most involved they've been in years past. They were either too little to kind of care, or I know that there were a couple of years they were a little bit like, oh, what's going on? And so they just stayed back and watched from afar. Um, but I don't force them. We have lots of conversations about why we're doing it, how we're doing it as humanely as possible, why we're doing this versus buying food at the store, because meat at the store was still an animal 
It just means that someone else put it down. Um, and then we try to get them involved when they're ready and help them understand just the ins and outs. And we turn it into science lessons. Like my son had a blast looking at the heart and the lungs and the intestines and figuring out where all the pieces fit together. Um, but I think the most important thing is, is we just let them go at their own pace. And when they're little, they are out there kind of bumbling around playing while we're doing our thing. And then as they get older, they become more involved. So I know all kids are different. Some are a little more tender than others. Mine can definitely be tender, but at this point they are okay with partaking in the process and understanding why we do it. So I think your kids are going to watch you, right? They're going to follow your lead. Um, and if they see a parent freaking out or acting like it's gross or, um, weird, I think they're, they're going to follow in that. So I think that's really important just to keep in mind, but we've never had an issue with our kids on butchering day. So anyway, just my two cents on that. Um, Oh, my, my other little note here before I get into my, to my little bullet points is that, and this is a little bit bold, but I'm saying it anyway. I think that if you choose to eat meat, that everyone should have a role at least once in getting that meat to the freezer. Maybe not even a hands-on role, but I feel like everyone should see what it takes. Um, I just feel like that is a responsibility, at least for me as a meat eater, to not shy away from that. And, and please know, I'm, I know everyone is different. And I know there's, there's folks who even commented on my video and were like, I don't think I can watch that. And I'm not going to be dogmatic that you have to watch it, even if you're uncomfortable, but I just think it's something to consider. And maybe you're not ready to do that at this point in time, but just start thinking about it. Just start pondering this idea of, um, I'm eating the meat, but you know, if you're not able to think about where it came from, there's a little bit of a disconnect there. So maybe just open up that part of your brain and your, your mind and start processing through that. I think it's just really healthy in everything we eat. Where did it come from? What are the sacrifices it took to get to me? What are the costs? Um, even if it's not meat, even if it's vegetables or fruits that are trucked in from another country with a lot of fossil fuels and a lot of energy required, it's, it's time to start being a little more conscious of what we put in our mouth. So butchering day last week, I have a lot of mixed feelings on butchering day, even though we've done this a lot. And I'm very, very, um, passionate about raising our own food. I always feel a little bit conflicted. Um, on one hand, I am really excited to have meat for our freezer and to replenish our supply. And I'm kind of usually tired of <laughs> the mess of the meat birds by then. But on the other hand, even though these chickens don't necessarily, like, we don't have a super close relationship with them because they're not super uh, personality rich, if that makes sense. They just don't have a lot of personality. I'm still sorry to see them go. I don't love the process of killing something. I just don't. And I've played a part in, in a lot of animals being put down. I was a vet tech for two years, and a part of that job is... Um, there's a lot of animals that you're, you're present for their euthanasia or you're present for when they, they pass. And so I'm not at all, um, a newbie when it comes to animals dying, but I still don't relish in it. Right. And I've pondered this a lot over the years and I've come to the conclusion that I don't think conflicting feelings like that are anything to be ashamed of. And I really don't ever want to get to the point 
where I am completely calloused to the cycles of life and death. Because let's face it, whether we buy our meat from the styrofoam package at Walmart or we cut it up ourselves, all the meat we eat at one point had eyes and a heart and was walking around. Like, that is a fact. And shying away from that, um, I don't know. It's For me, that just doesn't feel right. And for you, you got to do you. You got to do what you can handle. And I'm not trying to put undue pressure on any of you. But I think it's important that we just think through this. And I think that perhaps as a culture, we would all be a little less wasteful and a little more mindful of what we eat if we had a firsthand role in its living and dying. So just something to consider. All right. So for the homesteaders out there, out there, those of you who are contemplating your first butchering day, maybe it's on the calendar, maybe it's not on the calendar yet. I wanted to share a few of the ways that I sort through this in my mind. Okay. Number one, I always remind myself that homestead animals usually live a extremely good life compared to their industrial counterparts. All you have to do is Google chicken factory farming or pork factory farming, and you'll see how those animals are raised. And I just can't get on board with it. I just can't. I just don't agree with it. Um, When we compare that to sustainably raised small farm meat production, it's vastly different. And like Joel Salatin says, we can honor the pigness of the pig and the chickenness of the chicken and let them live out their days doing the things they were created to do. Um, When it comes to our cattle, they live on grass in the wide open spaces till the very end. Our chickens this year, we experimented with our chicken tractor setup, which I'll talk about more in another episode. Fantastic. Those were the happiest meat birds I have ever seen. They were on fresh green grass every single day. Um, They were clean. They had fresh air. It was fantastic. They were allowed to live out the fullness of their chickenness all the way up till the end. Um, Number two, I remind myself that homestead meat or home-raised meat is usually fed higher quality feed, which results in healthier animals. So with our meat birds, we get a meat bird mix from a local feed mill. We get it in big totes and bring it out. And then of course they get to be on grass, which a lot of folks have said, oh, these meat birds that we raise, the Cornish cross, they don't know how to graze grass. And I kind of believed that for a long time. And when we first put the chicks out on the grass, they didn't do much. They mostly just mashed it down. But I noticed after about a week, 10 days, they started to graze. And every day when I go out there to move the chicken tractor to its new location, they would have mowed that grass down. So they were getting a ton of green grass, which resulted in vastly better birds, more fat, better growth, um, and they were just more hardy. Number three this one could be potentially a little controversial. I know some of you will not get this, but homestead animals generally have more peaceful deaths. Um, This is a tough one, right? This is a tough one to talk about. We use a cone, a killing cone for our chickens. Um, They go upside down. They kind of, when the chicken's upside down, they kind of start to, I don't want to say pass out, but they get a little bit foggy. And then we just do a single cut to the jugular and they basically just kind of faint. And that's it. Um, versus the electrocution or any of the other methods you might see in a commercial poultry house. It's very calm. It's very quiet. 
and it's very simple. And so, yes, I realize it's still death. I understand that. And I know some of you have a really hard time with that and I get it hard time with that. I totally get it. Um, but it's very humane and it's very quick and they're not surrounded by fear and noise, um, and chaos when they go. Number four, I remind myself that in the home butchering process, usually very, very little is wasted. Um, I was really proud of us for our last batch of meat birds. Not one piece of one chicken went into our garbage can. Not one. We, um, well, so we process our birds whole. I put them in freezer bags whole. So I don't piece them out. So we put the whole birds in the freezer, obviously. And then as we eat the chickens for meals, I will save those bones and turn them into broth. So the bones are used. Um, the chicken feet, our friend Julie took to make homemade stock, right? It puts a lot of good stuff into your stock. Um, the feathers, we got a chicken plucker machine this year. The feathers we put into our compost pile that will break down. We put back into our earth instead of going into the landfill. And this, okay, I know this is, sounds a little bit uh, gross to some of you, but bear with me. The guts we put in a bucket and we gave them to our pigs, which is a thing. Pigs are omnivores um, and they happily ate them, right? And it's good nutrition and they didn't go to waste. Actually, we didn't give all of the guts of the pigs all at once because we figured it might be a little too rich. So we bagged up little baggies of the guts and we froze them so we can defrost a little bit at a time. I realize some of you are completely disgusted at this point. That is fine. <laughs> but it was really important to me that we not throw anything in the trash because, and I explained this to the kids. I'm like, if we're going to be killing an animal, we're going to use every last bit that we possibly can to honor that sacrifice. Um, and number five, I always remind myself that if we're going to eat meat, it has to come from somewhere. And so there have been times where I'm like, oh, I don't want to butcher the steer. I don't want to butcher the pigs. It's uncomfortable. It makes me a little bit sad. Maybe we should just buy the pork at the store. And then I'm like, no, Jill, because that was still an animal, right? So even if I shy away from doing it myself, I'm still consuming meat from something that was an animal. And I would rather eat a cow or a chicken that I know was fed properly and allowed to live out the fullness of its cowhood or its chickenness versus buying the mystery meat at the grocery store. So those are just a few of the things that I have contemplated over the years that help me remind me why we're doing what we're doing on butchering day. Now, all that being said, I just have to say that every time we process meat for our freezer, it's a very empowering feeling um, because we're taking charge of our food supply. And it's the same feeling I get when I can the tomatoes or grow the food in the garden or milk my cow to say, I'm opting out of this industrialized food system that I don't agree with. And I'm taking this into my own hands and I, you know, to, to be willing to do the work <laughs> to get set up to raise chickens and butcher chickens, it's hard. Uh, it's not necessarily as easy process. You have to learn the skills and get the tools and sharpen the knives. But I feel really proud of us for doing it every single time we do it. Um, I'm thankful for this opportunity. I'm grateful for the animals. And I'm really, really glad that we are able to honor them in life and death. So 
I guess to wrap it all up, this fairly controversial episode that I'm sure will generate many, many emails. I don't believe there's anything to be embarrassed about if you feel a little sad when you butcher a steer or a pig or a chicken for the first time or even the 10th time. I would say it's good to acknowledge your feelings and be okay with not becoming calloused to life and death and then enjoy. And yes, I did say enjoy and be proud of the fact that you are doing the hard thing and you're opting out of a food system that ain't so great and you're taking charge of your food supply. So there you have it. Whew, that was one heck of an episode. <laughs> um, and that's all I have for you today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so all the new episodes will show up automatically in your podcast player. And thanks so much for listening. We'll catch up again on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast.